Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on eight. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't know. A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we have lots of really great feedback from the last couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Such great feedback on our wonderful interview with Ron Brownstein from The Atlantic. Please go listen to it, not for our sake, for your sake, because it is just so great. He dropped some serious knowledge. He hadn't even had coffee. He had just woken up. Did no notes, no cramming, and it was incredible. So definitely go and take a listen to it. And we've had some great reviews of folks who very sweetly think we're both of the reviewers' generation. Sorry. <laughs> it's just going to be one of us, not, not both of us, but some very lovely reviews. We're at 96 reviews, so I think we can get it to 100. So we'd love to see some more. And now for this week's Top Lines. That song, it sounds so familiar. I don't know. Could it be a landslide is coming? <laughs> oh, we've been so excited about that for the last couple of minutes. We sure have. Uh, Chicksy Chicks deserve to be back in the news. They are back in the news, and they're now with the pollsters. This week's top lines, it's not a bounce. It is a landslide. And Trump continues to get crushed in national and statewide polling. We'll take a look at the latest. Then the boys and gals in the bubble don't expect change. Our poll of the week will be this week's D.C. Insider survey that I conducted for the Washington Examiner. Then the curious case of the garbage made up nonsense polls, the Twitter egg avatars and the people who love them. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about this strange new phenomenon of poll denierism and what people are trusting instead of scientific polls. Then it's your regularly scheduled millennial alert. We'll talk about who is winning millennials in Texas by a two to one margin. You'll never guess. And a little bit of new polling coming out from USA Today and Rock the Vote. Then the debates are going to be coming up pretty soon. We don't know who the moderators are yet, but what do people want to hear from the candidates during the debates? And last but not least, as summer begins to wind down, we'll reflect on summer jobs and what the polls tell us about what the kids are doing to earn a little summer cash these days. So our first, though, our poll of the week. Kristen, you did a poll on Washington Insiders, but I was not polled. Nobody called me. Oh, no. how, how do I know that the poll is valid? Right. Maybe, maybe I, it's biased. Am maybe I not a Washington Insider? The poll is rigged. <laughs> so Washington Insiders, kind of a hard group to survey because there's not really like a list of them. So the way we defined Washington Insider, it's kind of a broad 
definition. It's more, are you inside the bubble? So do you live in D.C. or one of the counties around D.C.? Are you at a certain level of education, a certain level of income? Do you work in a field that could in some way be connected to the policymaking or political process, consulting, whatever? You, know, you have to take kind of a wide view of it. But we conducted our survey. It was mixed mode. So some of the interviews online, some of them on the phone, um, and conducted this before the conventions. And we just asked a handful of questions. Um, but what we found was in some ways not terribly surprising. Um, among these 400 Beltway folks that we talked with, um, Hillary Clinton is ahead by a 62 to 22 margin. So she's up by 40 points. Um, and one of the other questions that the folks at the examiner wanted to ask was if people inside the Beltway or inside this bubble uh, feel like their concept of how Washington will work has changed or um, do they feel any more in or out of touch with America? And what we found is that as a result of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders uh, insurgent outsider campaigns, um, only a small portion of people think that policymakers will actually change their approach to policy. 32% of insiders compared to 62% who say uh, things probably are not going to change. Well, in that respect, actually, insiders are probably like the rest of the country and feeling pessimistic that things will actually change in Washington. I haven't seen exactly that question, but I'm sure there's one out there like, do you feel that things will be different after the election? I, I bet the numbers are similar. Yeah. I, the, in general, people are not thinking things will be will be very different. Um, we also asked some questions about things like free trade. A majority of folks in this sample thought that trade has been um, at least generally good, if not an unmitigated good. Uh, and then um, seeing the success of outsider candidates uh, has not actually made that many people in inside the Beltway feel out of touch, that 49% say they feel about the same in terms of their understanding of the folks living outside the Beltway. Um, 19 per, or 29% say they feel more out of touch, but that's less than, you know, three out of 10. So for the most part, folks inside the Beltway are not looking at this election and going, oh my gosh, what did I miss? Nope, they're perfectly in touch. <laughs> nope, they're perfectly in touch. Why would you so, ask me such a question? <laughs> this is the one thing that's funny is I'm like, if I was ever going to have a poll finding that I can imagine Donald Trump tweeting out, like, this is the one, guys. This is the moment. This is my moment to get polling in front of Trump. Well, you could send it to former guest co-host right. Kellyanne Conway, who is now the campaign manager for... Trump. Yes, indeed, folks. You may have heard on our show um, a couple of months ago, we had a guest host uh, and Kellyanne Conway. She's been the only guest host of the show, I think, in the show's right. history. It was episode number 27. That is a Back very specific memory. Well, somebody asked me on oh. Twitter and so I looked it up. <laughs> it's like, Lord, no. Margie, I can, bar wow, I can barely remember a... what episode we're on right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about a year ago because it was called Back to School. So okay. It was a while ago. Well, anyway, anyway, it's been quite a year for it. Kellyanne, gone from co-hosting the pollsters to running a presidential campaign. A so. kind of a, a lateral move, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just teasing. Kellyanne, I've known Kellyanne for, I mean, at least a decade, and she is incredibly warm and nice. So that is definitely a, you know, it's going to be a, a very big job. I think it's the first pollster who has been the campaign manager, to my knowledge. I think so. So breaking breaking important boundaries here, I suppose. Always possible, you know, always like to see pollsters being used 
maximally. Right. So exactly. Uh, assume this is going to be a challenging eighty couple of days or so being a pollster in Trump's orbit, given what we have known from Trump on polls. Right. A favorite intermittent segment on this show. So, but all of the best of luck to her in this endeavor. That's right. So let's see what do the polls say. I mean, the polls. I have to say, are pretty clear and consistent. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great, Donald. No, it's really not. I mean, look, it doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the two-way or the three-way or the national or the states or swing states or blue states or red states. It really does not matter. Or subgroups. Nothing. It to, all to tells put this the same in context, story. So today, the Trump campaign not only brought in Kellyanne Conway to be the new campaign manager, but brought in um, a man from Breitbart, which is the news source that has uh, very favorably covered Donald Trump. Um, and uh, Breitbart has been one of the sites that has been the most, you know, the biggest in terms of pushing the the polls are skewed, the polls are skewed, everything is rigged. They commissioned a Gravis poll, a national poll, and found Trump down by five. So when I am now at a point where I'm like, even Breitbart's own poll showed Trump down by five. And so do people say, what's, you know, why are you skewing the polls, Breitbart? Do people... I have not followed their mentions. So, yeah, I guess this this is an interesting time to – I guess we'll switch – flip flip the order a little bit and yeah. jump right into my egg avatar Twitter rant moment. Um, so this past week I went on uh, O'Reilly Factor, guest hosted by Eric Bowling. Um, They're always very kind to bring me on. I've been on with Margie before. Uh, you know, the host, whether it is – O'Reilly himself or guest host Eric Bowling, you know, very favorable to Trump. And our listeners will know that that is not the place that I am in. But always they're very gracious to me. And we usually have a pretty good, honest discussion about the polls. Uh, but the Twitter feedback I got after the segment was like, just – and look, I've been on Twitter for – since 2009 or 2010. I mean, like, I've gotten a lot of weird stuff, a lot of hate on Twitter. It, it, I'm basically immune to it, and I usually don't feed the trolls. Like I don't, I don't block people. I don't respond to them. I just sort of like walk it off. But the amount of polling misinformation out there, and it's not just the things people are questioning and doubting, but the things they are then asserting stand as good data or as valid evidence that Trump is actually ahead by like a million points is just mind-boggling to me. So I have been – I have begun feeding the trolls, yeah. as it were. Um, I, I am proud to say that two of – Is it because I, I, you're now verified? You feel like you've got some I didn't like, get verified until Sunday night. Like that Twitter was a, super cape or something? That was a surprise. Well, what was weird was I noticed that a whole bunch of other people in my feed were suddenly verified. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And sure enough, I clicked back to my own profile and bloop, there the blue check mark was. So it was – I think they just did like a batch of people. Oh, I see. Um, but so here are some some of the uh, the lovely tweets I got. Polly M at Polly 40 uh, tweets at me, in all caps, garbage can pollster, turn her off. And I was like, you have a remote control. I mean, you're allowed to turn me off, sir. Um, so all I wanted to do was then find an Oscar the Grouch gif. That's so gif funny. At that point. Um, somebody uh, at P. Boland, who has now blocked me because such an alpha male, obviously, uh, so brave, so tough, can, can't handle me tweeting back, tweeted, 
KSA, you put too much stock into the polls. They are not capital we, capital the, capital people. Try polling WTP for once, to which I responded, (laughs) forget it. Let's throw out no more RVs, no more LVs, just (laughs) WTP. We the people. That's our sample. Maybe with a side of MP, many people. Because Trump does love many people say X, Y, and Z. Right. No more LVs, no more RVs. It's just WTP and MP. That's our new samples. And then this was possibly my favorite. Somebody tweeted at me. Uh, it was a it's a graphic. Um, and a lot of our pollsters, listeners and and good friends have tweeted back at me about this, about the like, let, let's play a game called spot the things that are wrong. This thing with is this. nuts. This, this thing is, is banana. This is banana crackers. Crazy. This OK, is completely spot insane. the things that are wrong with this. PG far. Oh, Hillary by 10. Lol. Yeah. OK, here's a poll just in. Here's a real poll just in. Right. P.G. Farnsworth, we have just completed our own poll since we cannot get factual information from the mainstream media. We called a thousand homes in each of the 50 states and asked basic questions on the economy, terrorism, immigration and presidential pick. Economy was the number one factor that Americans are concerned about and terrorism was number two. Okay, Okay. valid. That's what other national polls say. This is a good poll. Maybe President Farnsworth pick. should be our next guest co-host. <laughs> P- I got some news for you, Margie. PG Farnsworth is a Russian bot farm. Okay. No, I'm, I'm going back to it now. Presidential pick was Trump by a large percentage. Trump, 33,478 votes, 67%. Clinton, 9,788 votes, 19%. Undecided or other votes, 6,739 votes, 13%. That seems like an outlier, I think. Okay, so for playing spot the things that are wrong, one, an outlier. Two, a survey with an N of 50,000? You know, they just want to make sure they got it right, but they called, yeah. <laughs> okay, they so that's, a, were, that's like number they're, two. They're perfectionists. Peachy Farnsworth is a perfectionist, Thanks. Kristen. I'm sorry. I'm just, I have to just Why are you cutting corners this? by only then, talking to 800 people? We called 1,000 f- homes in each of the 50 states because, Margie, as you know, every state in the United States has an identical population. Right. Well, identical. they should. If so they don't. you should have the same number of phone calls in Idaho as you do in California. Obviously. Right. And how many calls Obviously. do they do in Washington, D.C., I wonder? No, Washington, D.C. doesn't count, I guess. Hmm. Hmm. That would have thrown the whole thing, Margie. Hmm. You found the number one flaw. <laughs> okay, wait. So I got to go back to this. So P.G. Farnsworth continues. My friends and I are all graduate students from all walks of life. We meet to discuss stuff. Thirteen people who like and have served in the military. It took us most of two weeks to be sure our calls were all to people and not just one party or an other we called americans our poll is by taking registered voter lists we accumulated 33 percent repub 33 percent dems and 34 percent ind our poll consisted of 1,000 calls per state all 50 states not five fifty thousand people are in this poll not the 100 like other polls so there wasn't a call center involved this was this was this guy and his 13 friends yep just folks They like the military. They're grad students. They hung out. And in two weeks, completed 50,000 interviews. Huh. 
So this is where I'm going to say – This sounds like not a very good thing to have done with your summer vacation. No, this sounds like the sort of thing that unless the laws of space-time have changed, <laughs> I'm not certain is possible. Plus, how much does it cost to buy a registered voter list from one state? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. So – if we're continuing to play let's spot, let's say at a bare minimum, picture, a grand. At spot, the bare minimum, a right. grand. So, so thirteen people took two weeks of their life to sit around and call grand. an ill-proportioned sample, and spent tens of thousands of dollars to obtain the lists to do it. Right, and independents are more than thirty-four percent. Something, something doesn't smell right, guys. Something, but there's an image. But there's, but there's an, an image, image on, on the Twitter. internet, and so obviously it's so much more real than these polls from these other people. So, guys, this is like I am. We did not call PG Farnsworth for comment. We we did not. It's not fair. We're not fair and balanced on here. This is the stuff that's driving me bonkers. It's not about do you support Trump or not, whatever. And if you want to doubt the polls, that's fine. I said this in the interview with Ron Brownstein. We talk on the show here all the time about the stuff that could be wrong with the polls. Right. And look, I, this was my column today in The Examiner. Only 6% of people think that the media generally does the right thing. People think the media is not great. Right. The Even a bigger proportion of conservatives look at the media with huge skepticism. And most of these polls we're talking about are either coming from media outlets or colleges. And conservatives also have beef with professors and think they're all liberal. So – so I get it. I get where some of this skepticism comes from. That does not justify then throwing your blind support behind this like dear leader, North Korean, 99% of people love Trump. Look at how many people show up at his, his rallies. He's got so many Twitter followers. Baloney garbage nonsense. I mean, here's the thing about this is that it doesn't help. It doesn't help anybody's cause. Like – like there's no like it, it it's I would imagine that Kellyanne and Tony Fabrizio and the rest of the polling team that works for Trump they're giving him the same kinds of polling numbers that we see publicly. These are these are professionals. They're professionals. I mean, remember we talked about this when Fabrizio was named the Trump pollster months ago, and he was the first pollster that he brought on board. There was a quote that was then scrubbed from the story. I don't know why, because it's so awesome, where somebody said, <laughs> um, if he was a doctor, he'd be the kind of doctor who said, you're going to die. <laughs> Which I just love. It's just, I don't know. I love that because you have to be honest with your candidate. If you tell your candidate you're winning and they're losing, they are not doing the right thing to win. So it doesn't help anybody to have polls that say but, you're going to win if you're losing. I think the reason why this has been such a big thing that is pushed, though, if you want to get full-blown conspiracy theory-ish, which now this is me putting my tinfoil hat on, but if you assume that Donald Trump maybe knows that the writing is on the wall or thinks there's not many paths for him to come back, right. which I don't know if he – he probably still does think there's a good chance that he'll win, but – all of this stuff about, oh, the election is rigged. Oh, the election is rigged. Oh, the election is rigged. Managing expectations. Yeah, it's managing expectations. And then in the end, if he can come out and say, well, you know, all of these other credible data sources say that I really won. So the election, you know, kind of like when if like what the State Department does in countries where we expect there's going to be voter fraud, like you do kind of like exit polling to figure out, okay – did the government in Azerbaijan, did they really get – is this real or is there fraud going on here? I mean if you are 
already planning to deem the election invalid, then you want to boost any source you can suggesting your position is better than it is in reality so that you can have more people buy into your claims of like, no, 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 I can't possibly have lost. Look how many people came to my rally. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of people now very, you know, so there are a few things have been happening in the polling. One is there was this bounce. So this is from the New York Times. They tracked Gallup's data on favorability and that there was a bounce post-convention for favorability, but that's now receded, but there's still an advantage for Clinton uh, in terms of favorability. Many folks are writing about how at this point in time, who's ever up is going to win. And, you know, there are just no, you know, there are just no paths to 270 that Trump has, because obviously if the national polls show whatever it is, a seven point advantage for Clinton. Seven or eight. Yeah, it's advantage. eight right now in Huff Post Polls. Right. And it's a seven, I think it's a seven point. In oh, the, with the three way. Or the, the three five. Way. Yeah. What, it's whatever it is. It's like mid, it's a solid single digit advantage, right? Whether it's seven or eight, you know, it's bouncing around there. Um, that means all the states are going to fall in line, right? It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that there's some, you, there can't be a secret state strategy to 270. If the national polls are as wide as they are. So that's why you're seeing, you know, states that are essential like Colorado or Virginia or Pennsylvania uh, and Florida, you know, not Florida, but Colorado, Pennsylvania and Virginia looking pretty blue. And if those are becoming blue and you see, you know, I think Priorities USA is now not advertising in some of those states because they are so solidly for Clinton, you know, that just it. There's no other way to get there. You know, the patterns that are making those states turn blue make other states like North Carolina and Georgia and Iowa in play. Yeah. Right. It's not like there's some opposite countervailing thing going on. Yeah. So and and, and that's same why, pattern nationally occurs in the states. So if you take a look, so NBC Marist did a slew of statewide polls that came out this week um, in Florida. They have Trump down by five in North Carolina. They have Trump down by nine. North Carolina, down by nine. That's brutal. That's nine. really brutal. Virginia, down by 13. I mean, Colorado, down by 14. That This is lights out type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and these, it's, it suggests that not only is, are, we're not in convention bounce land anymore. Right. This is not bounce, 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 bounce. This is, no. this is it. This the landslide, landslide brought you down. The landslide <laughs> brought you down. And there, I mean, other polls have sort of conveyed this as well. There was a new Monmouth poll that came out um, showing Clinton up by nine in Florida among likely voters, um, which is even worse than what you see with the NBC Marist poll. As we walked into the booth to record, I saw that Quinnipiac had some polling out showing Trump and Clinton pretty close in Iowa. I think she's up by two. I think the tweet suggested they were tied. I mean, it is margin of error. But then the other states they did, I think it was Colorado and Virginia. Um, I think it was Colorado and Virginia. It was it, it was bleak for Trump. Um, and you had the Washington Post do a poll of Virginia yesterday uh, that they released where it also showed Trump down by 14. So this is not just convention bounce land. This is double digit margins in key swing states where it is now nearly impossible for me to figure out how Republicans keep the Senate in this environment. Right, because 538 has something. It. They, it cannot be done. They periodically update a table where they're looking at how Trump does in some of these key battleground Senate races versus the Senate candidates in, in those states. And they 
they are very similar. They're very comparable. It's a hard lift to get people to be split ticket voters, especially if there's not a coherent, cohesive strategy from the Republican side. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, Trump is here, but you have to vote for us because we disagree with him. In absence of that, you can't expect voters to kind of come to that conclusion on their own without being told that that's the message that you have as a party. And I should say that I am not, you know, I'm not I'm not I don't think that this is happening. Right? Like I don't I'm not like okay this is over it's all over it's landslide like it could very well change. This has been a very tumultuous year. We should not, you know, I think looking back at at these old date well, okay at this point in past elections such and such happened. I mean, I think we're writing new rule books all oh, yeah. the time this year. <laughs> I am not at all taking this for granted and I don't, you know, I never want I didn't ask for this <laughs> candidate. I don't want this candidate. I don't want there to be an asterisk next to Hillary Clinton's name. Like I like, like there will be somebody else that's like first female president elected in a non wacko bird year. Right, exactly. Like I don't want that. Like I want, you know, I would be more than happy to have a real debate between Democratic and Republican values with, oh, you know, debates. a Republican candidate that didn't make me actually like fear for our country's, you know, life and prosperity if he won. So, uh, and uh, you know, it would be an easy choice for me if I was on a Republican side to decide between Trump or it's easy to choose for me now between Trump and some other Republican candidate if I had to choose between two candidates who don't uh, represent me. Um, and I just – I'm just saddened by this turn of events. It just makes me sad. So anyway, that's that's what the, the polling though. There's no doubt what's going on. I mean even the USA Today poll with Rock the Vote on millennials, this whole issue that people have been talking about for a long time. Can Clinton appeal to millennials and will Democrats come together? There's been so much polling. We've been saying it for a long time, but it continues to be true that Democrats are unified. We were pretty out there saying that we thought that that was not going to be an issue. It turns out to not be an issue. I mean in these um, – in this poll, 50 percent of millennials are voting um, for Clinton and among former Sanders voters, 72 percent are voting for Clinton, 11 percent for Trump. I mean – Now, let me just say, if you had told me the Democratic candidate for president was going to be getting 50 percent of millennials in August and you told me that last year, I'd have been like, whoa. Really? Because that's kind of low. But then you look at Donald Trump, who's getting 18 percent, 18 percent. Right. And it's like, oh, you just have a lot of them that are choosing Gary Johnson, Jill Stein. They're saying they wouldn't vote. They're saying they wouldn't know. So so 50 percent looks darn good against 18 percent, even though 50 percent in in other circumstances wouldn't be. So great. Right. Well, I mean, you have more millennials saying they wouldn't vote or they don't know than voting for Donald Trump. Yeah. And this is what I enjoyed was I discovered this because I was staying at a hotel um, in North Carolina the when this came out. So, you know, USA Today is like the you get one under your door. Welcomes whenever, you with your coffee. Welcomes you with your coffee. So I, I like see this. I see the cover and it says something like like Trump getting destroyed with millennials. And I took a picture of the cover and like tweeted it out. And the thing You're that like, people is this paper being micro targeted no, to my the, hotel the, room. The, the thing people were the most. <laughs> all I tweeted was uh, was the cover, and it's I said um, like you don't say. And the thing people latched onto is there's a big ad in the top right corner that says Monday. 50 cent frosties <laughs> at Wendy's. And I was like, you know what? You're right. 
That's actually the more surprising thing on this front page is that I can go get a Frosty on Monday. Look on the bright side. Wendy's is not a sponsor of the show. Look on the bright side. But I would be more than happy to do a live read about my love for spicy chicken sandwiches. There was another. Wendy's, call me. There was another thing I actually was going to put in here. It was from a few weeks ago about what your food choices said, like Grubhub did a thing. And there was something about... Well, we know that avocados... And avocados came up in that too. <laughs> so guacamole versus like mozzarella sticks. And it was clear which party have, like, you were. I love that we like the avocado hour on this show. Like, let's I talk know, about I avocados. I love avocados. <laughs> that would be Beckett's podcast. It would just be about avocado. Um, but yeah, and they had like... BLTs were Democrats for Democrats and heroes were for I just had Republicans. A BLT for lunch, Kristen. Oh, we know I'm, you're on I'm the line. Outed. <laughs> we know I'm you're on the line. I continue to be outed as it's a just secret, another, secret liberal. It's just another way. So here, there's a Gallup study. So this is pretty interesting. So there's been obviously this is another theme in the research, and a lot of this academic research like bubbles up to the surface about what's behind Trump's support. I mean, academics seem to be having a field day about this. Like, is it something about race? Is it something about uh, your economic security? We, you know, sometimes I hear a lot of folks in the press talking about downscale voters who are supporting Trump in this way that makes them, you know despite what how they may have responded to Kristen's poll, seem out of touch, right, with how a lot of Americans think. But this uh, new study by Gallup I thought was pretty interesting. They looked at uh, the diversity of where people lived, um, education, age, and gender, of course. They controlled for all that. They used a, a Gallup's bank of 87,000 surveys over the past year, views toward trade, and – as opposed to looking at just income, they also looked at other kinds of indicators of well-being. So things like uh, your longevity, high death rates in your area, um, and sort of worries about what your – the kind of health and uh, future for your kids. So different kinds of uh, indicators in addition to just education, right, which is maybe a little bit more of a blunter instrument. And they found – and I, I think I'm characterizing this correctly, but this was a big white paper. So pardon me if they're getting some of the details wrong. But they – um. But they showed that the diversity of where you lived was a big driver of Trump support, not just Trump support in the general, but also Trump versus other Republican candidates. Um, the diversity of where you lived. So if you lived in a less homogenous area, whites who lived in a less homogenous area were more likely to be Trump supporters than other folks. Um, and not so much views toward trade or your own income or socioeconomic status, but if you had issues of sort of the the high death rates in your area or worries about the the future income and health for your kids, that kind of insecurity led to a more more likely to be a Trump supporter. So this conventional wisdom that it's just about trade, which always seemed to me as a proxy for something else, not just trade in and of itself. At least that was my gut. So this confirms that. Um, and not so much income, just like if you don't have a college degree, you're going to be a Trump supporter. That's maybe too blunt. It's really more about this, you know, this physical insecurity and also lack of diversity where you live, which is consistent with a lot of the other research we've talked about on the show. Interesting. So it seems like, I mean, we we saw that ABC poll where we were, t- we were talking about anxiety and whether the idea of certain people being president makes you anxious. And it Judging from this, it seems like Trump does the best among people who are already kind of anxious. Right. And yet you still have 70 percent of people who are anxious about a Trump presidency. So this is – I wonder if the – I mean 
if the the people who are least anxious about a Trump presidency are those who are the most anxious about everything else in their world. Right. Right. And so that tr- and Trump's ability to address that is something that, you know, I think we should folks who comment on public opinion and look at what voters are thinking should think about that with some kindness and openness, not simply, well, they don't have a college degree. So that's why they're supporting Trump. I mean, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. The diversity piece. And we talk about that a lot. And they raise the issue of is it about the contact theory that if you're exposed to a more diverse population, then you're going to have more open views toward race and ethnicity. So it could be contact or it could be, um, you know, you want to live in a place that's less diverse because you have that. So what's the direct causal direction there? It's not simply lack of expo- is it lack of exposure to a more diverse population or do you remove yourself from a diverse population because you don't want that contact? So I don't think the study went into all of that, but it is pretty interesting. And it's been written up in a couple of places. I think it was in the Times. I saw this in the Post and we'll link to the full academic paper that was put out by some folks at Gallup, um, which goes in a lot of detail with a lot of uh, stats for the professionals among you. Well, the next big event that will happen in this campaign will be the debates. Um, So the debate moderators were actually already announced by mid-August four years ago, but we still don't quite know who the moderators will be. Um, We do know, by the way, that Donald Trump has ruled out my friend, Mary Catherine Hamm, as a potential moderator, was on Hugh Hewitt's show. (laughs) Hugh Hewitt threw Mary Catherine's name out as a potential option. And all Trump said was, like, she doesn't have very nice – she's always saying bad things. She's always saying mean (laughs) things about me. So – Well, if we had to limit anyone who said anything mean, I mean, I guess they would need to have – put that on your Twitter bio. I know, right? She's always saying bad things. Well, well, they would need to have a Democrat, though. I mean, she has someone more progressive, too, to balance it out. But um, yeah. But yeah. But I'm – I'm in favor. Uh, that's an extra vote. Uh, I want to vote twice for her as a result of that. Uh, um, so, we, so Pew asked some folks, what do they want to hear about in the debates? Um, and asked people to give sort of the amount of minutes that they – you have 100 minutes. How would you divide it up? How many minutes would you spend on each topic? And the top issue was keeping the U.S. safe from terrorism. On average, people wanted to hear it discussed for 15 out of the 100 minutes. Um, Trump supporters wanted to hear about terrorism four minutes longer than Clinton supporters did. The second topic was economic growth at an average of 12 minutes, then budget deficit at 11, health care policy at 11, foreign policy at 11, uh, immigration at 11. Then you get into um, some of the the more kind of hot button issues, gun policy at nine minutes, global climate change at seven minutes. But there's a pretty big spread there between uh, Clinton and Trump supporters in terms of how much time they want to spend. Supreme Court nominations, only seven minutes. uh, And abortion policy was the the option that got the least minutes out of all coming in at five. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I was actually surprised by how balanced some of these responses were. I mean, the other thing, too, um, is that there's going to be a real use of polling in determining who is at the debate. So uh, Frank Newport, who we've had on the show from Gallup, has advised uh, what sort of polling outlets should be looked at to decide whether or not Gary Johnson gets – or Jill Stein, but most likely PG Johnson. P.G. Farnsworth. <laughs> P.G. Farnsworth's poll was not <laughs> recommended, not part of the recommendation list from Frank Newport. But maybe maybe he can appeal. Maybe that's the delay on all this stuff. But um, but that could then well mean, since you have a few outlets, it's not the whole wide world of polling. I mean, it, it means that there's not that much time left for Johnson to get to that 15%. So I think that would be 
necessary for him to have whatever momentum he needs to do whatever his plan is. Um, so anyway, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and also, if you want to hear more about debate style and debate plans. We did an interview with Clea Chang from Intelligence Squared, uh, the podcast, and she talked about their plan to change the de- fix the debate. So it's a little bit more open-ended and you can hear the candidates speak in a more extemporaneous way, which we all think would be pretty fun, I think. Well, let's talk now as we finish things up about the summer jobs and uh, whether or not, you know, you may have seen on Twitter this past week a hashtag um, first seven jobs. People were posting what it is that they did. Margie, what were your did you what were your summer jobs? So I had so some of my jobs, I think, would very much ladder up to where I am at this moment. So one of so several of my early jobs were helping my mom, who is a market research, unpaid. One, I did her re- travel receipts. So that was one job where I got like a commission on how much I could put together, right? And another one was going through her cross tabs. I did that at a very young age. That wasn't a job. That was more like... I don't know, unpaid la- <laughs> unpaid labor, <laughs> labor of love, apprenticeship, right? And uh, I did intern at Sassy Magazine. You're probably too young to remember Sassy I remember Magazine. Sassy Magazine. It's kind of like if Girls or Sex in the City were a magazine for young, for teenagers and young adults, I would say, right? I guess that's fair to say. So it was very kind of far out feminist for its time, I think, but very popular, has real cult following still to this day. And so I was in the marketing department. I was very pleased with myself because on the first day I showed up and I was in the elevator at the Helmsley building, which is where Sassy was. And, uh, the uh, um, messenger in the elevator is like, is this where you're going? And he handed me an envelope to Sassy Magazine. And there's like a thousand, you know, ju- offices in the Helmsley building. I'm like, Whoa. yes, I must look so sassy. Oh my gosh, this is like a <laughs> Kelly Clarkson song. And then like, of course, because I was, you know, 17 or 18, however old I was, like I couldn't, my shoes were immediately uncomfortable my first day of my internship. Oh. So I had to take them off and I was like walking around in my stocking feet because, you know, I didn't know any better. And, um, and somebody who worked there Are said- you not supposed to do that? You're not supposed to do that. But I mean, oh. I, 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 I know. Sorry, Lessons no judgment. I, no. <laughs> and so uh, and so someone said, oh, you're sassy already. And this was also my first day. Oh. I'm like, I am so – this is great. This is the best internship. It was kind of – I think that was kind of the highlight with that first day. It was sort of – it wasn't <laughs> like it was a bad internship, but that really – it was kind of a high watermark was that first day. I mean, I judged an en vogue mail-in contest about on folk that was another exciting moment and then i got to write a press release but anyway that being named sassy by the messenger in the building somehow beat all that oh my gosh (laughs) but you got you got like actual professional experience that in some way helped advance your career yeah and well i mean but it's not like i still hang out with any of those people but it was uh, i screamed at a robotic monkey (laughs) which also Prepared me for Twitter well. for your life on Twitter. I know. Uh, Where was the robotic? Wait, monkey? so have I never told you what my summer job no, was? No, I don't think so. Okay, so for listeners who do know me and have heard this story before, I apologize. I also wish that I had about a glass of wine or two because this is also when this all comes out. Usually, right, right. So my first job was working at Universal Studios. On the King Kong ride. Oh, that's I was the like actress. Because oh, right, you're from Orlando, right? Of course. So like, there's so, so many the summer fun job jobs. In Orlando yes. is fabulous, and like the so there's this hierarchy, right? Like the top tier is being a Disney princess. 
a face character, as it were. Right. So the face characters, you know, you stand with kids, but, like, your face is visible. Then beneath that are the characters that wear, like, the Mickey costume or the Shrek costume or whatever, where you're in the big puffy suit. Then beneath that, that's the tier where I live, (laughs) where you do have to wear a costume, and it is your face that's visible. But nobody wants to take pictures with you. Not really. (laughs) Um, So I had to dress like a New York City transit police officer. So like, you know, insane heat. I'm standing outside in like navy blue pleated slacks every day and like a button down shirt with like a little badge on it. And I would – so you'd have a couple different jobs. The first part is – you do something called pre-board, which is kind of like human Tetris. You'd have to filter people into the rows of the tram. Like, yep. how many in your party? Row one. How many in your party? There's yep. four of you. I'm going to need two of you in row one and two of you in row two. How many in your party? Four. Great. Can I get you in row two, please? Oh, how, God. You know, oh, God. It was like so, Yeah, that helps you. It was like a math that puzzle. You. But then the fun part was then for the end of your rotation, you would go and you'd be the one driving the tram. And you'd have to do the whole like – Please, everybody, move all the way over and as quickly as possible. My name is Kristen, and I've got to get you folks to Roosevelt Island Station. Take everything off your laps, including children. They're going to need their own seats. Bags, purses, and cameras need to go on the floor. Children need to have a seat next to you for their safety. If you're on the ends of the rows, watch your knees. Everybody go ahead, reach up, pull down on those lap bars. And we're clear for dispatch. Officer Margie's up in the tower. She's going to be tracking King Kong's location. She'll let us know if he gets too close. Oh, my God. is burned into my my brain. Burned into my brain. So funny. If I ever get to a point where I can't remember that anymore, like that's a problem. That's the sign. To, that's like the. That's my constant. It's the one your thing family my brain will all gather around. To. Like she can't even remember. She can't remember <laughs> her own name. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't. But remember she them. remembers. Everybody, hold on. He's Aww. dropping the tram. So yeah, there's a big like fifty foot robotic. King Kong thing that would like pick up your tram and drop you. Oh my god! Explosions. I smelled like bananas and propane that whole summer. It was amazing. Wow! And then they closed it because the ride was not politically correct after nine eleven because it was New York like in blown up disarray. So then they moved me to earthquake, (laughs) and I had to do a whole spiel about special effects. Oh, that's such a sweet – those are such sweet jobs, Kristen. I came to politics. Well, you know what? Teens (laughs) – There is a poll angle related to this. We were not just here to reminisce. They don't have jobs like this anymore. About being sassy and yelling at monkeys. Well, you know, Kristen, (laughs) your job is a little – well, first of all, I recognize that my job as an unpaid intern at a magazine in New York is a kind of privilege because someone – after I posted my jobs on Facebook, someone then posted on her Facebook, not naming me, but it was seconds later. I knew it was about me. Like, some of you guys have some really bougie first seven jobs and I thought that's fair because, you know, it's an unpaid job, right? So that's totally fair. But it is even paid teen jobs are now declining and folks who are more upscale, teens who are more upscale, are more likely to have those kinds of summer jobs. So there's an inverse relationship between like needing the job and actually having the yeah, job. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit. Um, so is this – so this is from the current population survey and it's teen summer employment broken out by family income. And, you know, one of the things that you hear about if you read, you know, kind of any interesting literature about education reform is that one of the biggest problems is the summer slide, right? That it's people who, you know, during the summer, the rich kids are all going to space camp and learning about Mars and not every kid can afford that. And so those kids come back to school 
ready to rock it and they know everything about the planets and what what Pluto's current status as a planet is, which I don't even know right now. I think it's a planet again. Um, but the, the kids who don't have as much money don't have that. Right. So my assumption then was that the more upscale teens, you know, would be like Buster Bluthing it. Like, you know, but I guess that's, you know, like like taking classes and, you know, stuff and becoming more competitive while kids like who need, you know, hey, mom and dad are not paying my gas money, so I need to go I don't know. Earn my debate camp money. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, maybe it's just a question of having a job versus not having a job at all. I mean, it's it. the issue of what kids do in the summer is actually quite a big one. I mean, there's been, you know, whether it's younger kids, older kids, is is really very much reinforces the class divide. Um, the struggle to kind of afford camp and figure out childcare when camps and summer jobs don't go the whole day for younger kids who can't just make them make their own way to a job is a very big hurdle for a lot of families. It's a big hurdle for for everybody, it's a giant um, drain on productivity and, and uh, you know, change. But having year-round school is not a very popular idea. I had to test it for a candidate once. He had a lot of ideas about education. That one was the least popular one. I was like, oh, this would – I could see why this would be popular. But in fact, it was not. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a really efficient use of school buildings. But I had – my elementary school had some kind of weird experimental year-round school thing where you, as a parent, got to pick a track for your kid to be on. So, like, each class in the second grade was a different, you know, one was the red class, one was the purple class, one was the blue class, one was the orange class. And, like, you would be in school for, like, a couple of weeks and then you'd get, like, a two-week break. And then you'd be in school for a couple of weeks and you'd get a two-week break. And then you'd be in school for a couple of weeks and you'd get a two-week break. And the two-week breaks would be staggered based on which class you oh, were in. Oh, that's smart. So then one of the classes was, like, kind of a floater class and they would just inhabit the empty classroom. Mm. So it, like – this was in, like, the sprawl boom days right. of Orlando when, like, they could not build schools fast enough to keep all of the kids in them. So this may have just been, like, a stopgap measure and I was just like, whatever, I'm in the third grade and I'm in the red class and I like red, so yay. You know, but, like, <laughs> I mean, that was kind of how it worked. And so in that way, there were really only two of the tracks that had something that more closely resembled, like, a normal summer where they're – two-week break was either the start or the end of the school year. So they had like a longer summer. Whereas if you were like orange track, you just were getting your little breaks. Right. And that's all well and good if you have a parent who has – who is not working or working part-time or works for themselves or who has a very flexible work schedule. If you do not have that or you just have one parent who's the main caretaker, all this kind of stuff is like drives you bonkers. It's very, very difficult. Um Sort of relatedly, it's maybe not. It, 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 the Gallup also showed, and we'll link to all this stuff as usual, that women who are working full time have a lot less stress, or there's no gender gap in their stress level compared to. And this is for young women, right? This is women. Yes, yes, women, eighteen to twenty nine year olds by gender and employment status. So there is no gender gap in your sort of negativity scores, whether it's physical pain or worry or stress or sadness, um, that gender gap goes away for women who are working full-time compared to men as opposed to women with other kinds of employment situations. So maybe that's because of some of these kinds of challenges, maybe not. Um, And then in terms of the type of job, we think of kids working in restaurants 
and so on as their summer job. The restaurant industry is top of the list, according to Gallup. It's not quite a segue, but we'll make it work. It's the most popular industry. Least popular industry, the federal government. Probably not a surprise. Yep. Hard to get the selfie vote to want to go work for the feds. That's right. But uh, restaurant industry, along with other things that you buy that you're pretty happy with, like retail, computers, groceries, accounting, I was a little surprised by. Accounting industry is high up there. Travel, the internet industry. The internet industry. (laughs) (laughs) The internet industry is pretty popular. So... Anyway, so in terms of what we found, our key findings, this election is so crazy, it's even making Kristen angry. And that's tough, y'all. That is not easy to do. Well, not if you see me on the GW Parkway in the morning, <laughs> so I'm going to be honest. Where, where does pollster rate on the top industries that we don't know? What about Twitter troll? How would that rate and as far as industry? What about podcast guest host? Where would that rate on top industry? And don't let the landslide get you down, not with so many podcasts to get catch up on. But ours is the one you know you want to catch up on the most. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters or individually at at Margie O'Mero and at K. Anderson. We're at www.thepolsters.com. We're throughout the week. You can go and check out our show notes, hear about the polls we've talked about on the show. Then go to our Facebook page where you can find more information about the polls that we might be posting uh, and talking about on the upcoming show. Be sure to write a review, subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, and we'll look forward to talking to you all next week with a fresh batch of polls. Bye. Thanks.